Mac Power Users, episode 490, Surfing with Safari. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I am joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hello, Mr. Hackett. How are you today? I'm doing well. Man, summer is here, right? Kids are out of school. It's hot. Yeah. And we're going to talk about web browsers. I guess I guess what you do in the summer. My old Nest died on me. It just stopped working. The thermostat? like the Yeah, the original one. So that was like six months ago. Mm-hmm. So I put the Echo Bee in and um, it's pretty cool now telling my HomePod to start up the air conditioning and having it just start. Yeah, because it's got HomeKit support, doesn't it? Living in the future, baby. Living in the future. Yeah, it's time for another time, but I, I have a lot of Nest stuff. I'm pretty deep in that world, but it's uh, it's a world that is increasingly cut off from outside outside vendors. We have not done a deep dive on the Stephen Hackett theory of home automation. I feel like mm. that is in the future. I it's think we of, need to do that. It's a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth, honestly. Yeah, well, whatever. Hey, on iOS 13, because I've got it on a couple devices now, the uh, HomeKit stuff looks a lot prettier. Although they're still all rounded rectangles. I mean, it's it's not like, I feel like you could make that easier for people, but mm-hmm. it's not. Anyway, that's not why we're here today. No. We're here today because we wanted to talk about this thing called the World Wide Web. I think it's going to catch on, David. I, I yes. think it, it may have legs. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Why not, man? <laughs> Was it HTML something something slash whatever? Then you're good. That's it, right? Yeah. Yeah. You need to make sure that you uh, you are, are navigating with your Netscape. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So we're going to talk about Safari. Safari is obviously a huge part of being in the Apple ecosystem. It's a part of the Apple ecosystem that is easy to avoid on the Mac and very difficult to avoid on iOS and iPadOS. And we're going to get into how it's different, I think, between the platforms and some things that are good, some things that are bad, some some fun uh, power tips about Safari. But first, I want to start with a little history. Yes, of course. Because I like doing that. And you haven't caught on to, to not let me do this. So here we are. <laughs> well, I actually wrote history lesson in the outline because I, I feel like Safari is kind of a special snowflake for Apple users. So we need to go back to the 1990s. Some people listening remember it like it was yesterday. Some people listening don't remember it at all. Some didn't exist. <laughs> in the 1990s, the uh, the internet was coming right along and you had browsers like Internet Explorer and Netscape Navigator. And there wasn't, for a long time, there really wasn't a great browser on Mac OS. This is, of course, years before Mac OS X. We're talking classic Mac OS. And uh, so you have Netscape and some others, but then Steve Jobs comes back and Apple cuts a deal with Microsoft to uh, to do a bunch of things. Microsoft invested in the company. They promised uh, Microsoft Office on the Mac for you know years to come. But there's a clip of this keynote on YouTube where Bill Gates is towering over Steve Jobs on a video screen and people are, are booing. It's very intense. Yeah, that, that was a moment. That was definitely a moment in Apple history. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's also the time where where Microsoft was coming to the realization that they were slow on the get-go for the web as well. And they kind of threw a lot of Microsoft resources at the internet. So mm-hmm. this fit in with what they were doing at the time as well. Absolutely. So part of this deal was that Internet Explorer, which had been on Windows before this, but like you said, Microsoft was a little late to the game. They came on a little strong and governments around the world <laughs> slapped their wrist. But part of this deal was Internet Explorer would not only be bundled with Mac OS, 
but would be the default browser on Mac OS. So this is, is 1997 or so. And, uh, this created a lot of, a lot of shockwaves through sort of the Apple world. But what it meant was that the, the Mac had at the time, at least more options for, uh, for a browser. And of course, now we look back on this with, you know, over a decade of history with Safari and think that it's absolutely bananas that Apple didn't build something, but Apple was trying to pull itself out of the ditch, right? It was doing things like the iMac and what would become OS X. And so they said, hey, look, we can fix the browser problem on the Mac with Microsoft. And and that's what they did. And so Internet Explorer was the default on Macs from the late 90s all the way up uh, until 2003 or so when Safari showed up. I mean, people talk about Apple not being able to walk and chew gum right now, but back then, Apple was a one-product company, a lot smaller than it is now. A fraction of the size. <laughs> so that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So we get to uh, Macworld 2003, January, you know, San Francisco show, and Apple unveiled Safari, a browser that they had built, and the 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 battle cry for Safari was speed. You know, now I would argue that it's security and privacy, but then it was speed. If you go watch this keynote or you read the press release, it's all in the show notes. Yeah. What Steve Jobs is talking about is how fast Safari is compared to everything else. And think about even in 2003, a lot of people were still on dial-up, right? So, So the speed, I guess, had sort of a sort of an upper limit, but in what... And what the browser could get from your internet connection, it would load it much faster than anything else. Yeah, I mean, that was not just marketing speak, although I would argue that the reason they really put Safari together is that they just, they got to a point where they were doing okay. They were out of the ditch mm-hmm. and they wanted, to, and they realized the the value of the internet and the browser and they wanted to own that themselves. And uh, and they did it sort of in an Apple-y way, right? So you had the, the speed thing where we're going to make the fastest browser on the Mac, there's actually a really interesting story about this, and it's been told other places. But when Apple was developing Safari, uh, you know, in the early 2000s, there was actually a rule in the Safari development team that you were not allowed to check any code into the Safari project that made the browser engine any slower. So we're talking about a browser. You have sort of the window Chrome and your bookmarks. You have that sort of browser, and then you have the engine that's actually rendering the web pages, and you couldn't do anything that made that slower. Developers had to continue to, to work on their feature or bug fix until it didn't slow things down. That's probably not the rule anymore, but I think that really shows you how obsessed they were with speed. If you were working on, on the bookmarks feature and it made the browser test run slower, you had to keep working on your bookmark feature until it didn't impact this in a negative way. That's really hardcore, and it really paid off when you when you go back and watch this keynote and realize just how fast this was compared to other things. Uh, there were there are some other uh, important features. They they were the first to have a Google search field right in the browser. It was a separate window, sort of in the menu bar, other than yeah. So you had your URL, then you had a Google Safari or Google search. That was revolutionary at the time. Now we just take it for granted, but Safari was there. Uh, in the early days with that. And you also had really simple bookmarking. I remember in IE for Mac, the bookmark stuff was just really bad. And this is before Twitter. It's before people had RSS readers. If you you know had 10 websites you wanted to see every day, 
you had them all bookmarked and you sort of worked your way through them. And Apple spent a lot of time making the process of creating and editing bookmarks as simple as possible. You know, that's something that most people don't think about today, but this was a big deal back in 2003. Stephen, what do you do with bookmarks in 2019? Do you use them? I have a bunch of them. Okay. And how do you use them? So I basically use them to, uh, to get to things quickly with Alfred. So the Alfred, the, uh, the, you know, the, the app launcher for the Mac. Sure. There is a workflow in Alfred. Uh, mine is, I type the letters BB, and then I can start typing, for instance, MPU, and it shows MPU show outlines, MPU sponsors, yeah. MPU scheduling, et cetera. And so I use it as a, just a really quick way to get to things that I access several times a week. So they are organized into folders and subfolders, but honestly, I just use them to uh, make Alfred open a web page really quickly. Yeah, I do the same thing except with Launch Bar. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the way, we are going to have a showdown, an Alfred yes. Launch Bar showdown. That's it's in the it's in the list of shows. It's yep. going to happen later this summer. It's going to be great. But the thing I don't do with bookmarks, which I was doing back when Safari was fresh and new, was I would go and I'd have my favorite websites and I'd go check them every day or two. You know, sure. It was before RSS readers and all the other stuff became a thing, but. But yeah, I think bookmarks are still important. And it was clear Apple had done a good job with this. Uh, the beta was downloaded a million times in less than two weeks. And remember, 2003, people aren't like at home live streaming these keynotes. People read about Safari maybe in magazines or on you know the Macworld website. And a million downloads in two weeks now seems like nothing. That was a big deal again you know, 15 years ago. Yeah, and Apple wasn't shipping 50 million iPhones a quarter either. Mm -mm. They were, you know, it was the only thing they were selling was the Mac. It was, I would guess, maybe, a, you know, close to 50% of the Mac user install base. I mean, a lot I don't of, know. A lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, App Apple would eventually go on to open source uh, a large part of Safari as well as WebKit, which is the rendering engine inside of Safari. And of course, you know, Safari now, I think most people think about Safari as the browser on the iPhone or the browser on their iPad where yeah. it has much greater market share. Um, it is, of course, the default, and you can't change that on iOS. You can use Chrome or something else, but Safari is the default. But we also can't leave this without talking about Safari for Windows. Yes, Safari for Windows. Isn't this the one where Steve Jobs called it ice water for people in hell? I can't remember if that or that was iTunes for Windows, but yeah. both are true. Yeah. Safari for Windows ran for five years from 07 to 2012. It wasn't great. They did some weird things in it with like the text aliasing and stuff that made it feel very foreign on Windows. But the reason they had it, you know, so in, in that announcement, they're like, hey, we want to grow our market share past what the Mac has. And how you do that? Well, you put it on Windows. That may or may not have been true. But it was also really important because if you remember 2007, before the App Store, Apple told developers, hey, if you want to build apps for the iPhone, uh, just make a responsive website. And, uh, you know, you can put it on the home screen. And we all know how that turned out. People were yeah, very upset. And the sweet solution. Yeah, yeah that's uh, what some people called it. That's what Apple called it. It's not what everybody called it. Yeah, that's what Apple. That's what Steve Jobs called it. Mm -hmm. And Safari for Windows opened that up to more developers, right? So, you know, anyone could write a sweet solution iPhone web app. And of course, that faded over time. And by 2012, Safari for Windows was quietly killed. Yeah, I, at the time I was working in a place that had Windows computers, so I, of course I installed it. 
because I wanted mm-hmm. to have the, uh, and it was funny because it was like Apple was such a non-player. You know how we make fun of and mock people who like put an app on the iPad or iPhone and they use like the Android UI mm-hmm. and they, they just like ignore the conventions that all the other apps on our platform use. So then we, it's hard for us to use them. Apple violate that rule too. If you go back and look at like screenshots of Safari for Windows, they had like the closed dialog box. It was laid out like a Mac app. You know, they just wrote their own UI on top of the Windows system. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just, it wasn't very good. You know? Even as a Mac lover, I, I could not, I couldn't take it. <laughs> I eventually got out of that out of that racket. But, but yeah, so, and then we get to Safari on on iOS. But, but before we get to that, I guess going back to this time period, I think ultimately one of the things we got out of that whole experience of the the growth of the web and the web browser and kind of the in the way Safari and WebKit grew up. I mean, WebKit was, I guess we haven't really talked about that, but that was the underlying, um, you know, web search engine that, that Apple had developed, which they eventually open sourced. And WebKit became a power and it became su- such a big deal that all the web developers had to address it. You know, it got big, it got enough, it got big enough. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like this is one of the factors in the second coming of Apple in that um, in the old days, you know, the argument always was, oh, it's a great computer, but my apps don't work on it. But as the web became more important, so long as the web worked on the Mac, you could get away with it. I think that's a huge point. And if, if you think about this, this time frame of the early to mid-2000s, that was a, a really critical time for Apple. Their hardware was firing on all cylinders. Mac OS X was getting better and better. And absolutely, having Safari, but also having WebKit at the heart of it, really propelled that forward. And, and, and Apple actually uses WebKit all over the place. Like, remember Dashboard, Dashboard, ran and WebKit. Yeah. It's, it's, it's used to render. Remember, it, it, you can still run it, right? Until Catalina, <laughs> then it's Until gone. Until September, yeah. But yeah. it... it WebKit renders your email in the mail program. It renders things in messages. WebKit is is a core technology to Apple, and they were able to, you know, they didn't invent it. It was it was based on KHTML, and they brought it in and, and all these things. But it really became a a huge deal for the company. I think you're absolutely right. I, I think Apple, their rise in the mid two thousands, especially the Mac's rise in the mid two thousands, a lot of that had to do with, would do with this web technology and and Apple and the Mac being a a real first-class citizen in that arena. And unfortunately that hasn't been true for all the later platforms, but it was a big deal then. Well, and it's funny because now Google is trying to turn that on Apple saying, you don't need the fancy iPad. Our, you know, our, Mm -hmm. you know, our, Actually, they're, I was going to say tablet, but they're kind of getting out of the tablet business. But the, yeah, uh, but Chrome OS, you know, cheap Chromebooks. Yeah, cheap Chromebooks. And are as long as they can access the web, you don't need the fancy Apple stuff because all you need is to get on the web and then, then we take care of the rest. So the argument's getting turned on its head now. But it was certainly a, played a role. I, I think there was more to it than that, but it was, of course, it was important. It, it was, it was in the mix of reasons. And, and, and WebKit even blossomed beyond Apple. So you mentioned uh, Google. Chrome, for the longest time, also used the WebKit rendering engine, and and Google split that several years ago. Now it's called Blink. They forked it. Now they're sort of diverging. Yeah. But WebKit for a while there was it was basically the Internet Explorer engine, and there was WebKit, and and on mobile we're going to talk about uh, market share in a little while. 
on mobile, WebKit is dominant in uh, at least in parts of the world. So it's still a very important platform for the web and for Apple, even if Safari has lost ground in recent years to things like Chrome. Then we had Safari on iOS. It, you know, funny. it's funny because with the original iPhone, the focus was once again speed. Uh, do you remember with the original version of Safari when you would scroll faster than it could download uh-huh. data? Yeah. And it gave you the little, um, little, it was like the checkerboard. Yeah, a little checkerboard like you see in Photoshop or something on a translucent layer. Yeah, absolutely. And man, I just remember the the thing that always comes to mind when I think about the first iPhone was it's the real internet. I had a, a Palm device before that, and I had you know cellular data and a browser. Yeah, but it was like janky mobile web, and it mostly just text, and really not what mobile Safari brought. Whoever came up with the idea to put, hey, we're going to put the full Safari experience on this iPhone, yeah, it was obviously terribly slow compared to what we have now on a tiny screen, but it was mind-blowing. And I think that really propelled the iPhone right out of the gate. Like, hey, you want the internet on the go? This is the best way to do it. And and that was because of the work Apple had put in Safari for the the five, six, seven years before then. And whoever decided we're going to put the checkerboard in. So if they scroll past known data, Mm -hmm. we're going to let them blow past it. Mm -hmm. That was a really smart move because we just wanted to get because we knew roughly where we wanted to be on our web pages we'd scroll down and it would show up and and like you said i had the palm as well and occasionally i would try and get on the web for something with it and it, it was like a five minute process yeah. to get on a website <laughs> yeah. you know just just to i'm not saying to do anything but like to get on a website and i'm not exaggerating you would watch individual letters render it was mm-hmm. terrible and, and no graphics, of course. That would be just raw text. Right. A very basic, very simple. Not at all what Apple could do. Yeah. And, and Safari on iOS, it, it solved that first problem, but then, then it didn't solve the second problem. As the iOS devices got faster and smarter, the internet speeds got faster, we found many limitations with iOS Safari uh, to this day. I mean... And uh, both of us are now running the beta. Can I out you that you're running the beta? On one yeah, of it's, it's on the iPad. Uh, the phone hasn't made the jump yet, but the iPad has. Yeah, and and so all of a sudden, websites that never worked on iPad before, like Squarespace and banking websites and mm-hmm. all the Google Docs stuff, um, all that works now. It just works, guys. I mean, uh, I'm not telling you to put the beta on yet because you probably shouldn't, but... Uh, within a few months, if you can get into the public beta or definitely in September, suddenly your iPad and iPhone are going to be way more valuable to you on the internet. It's going to have parity with the Mac and the old, you know, Windows PCs and whatever else you use to get on the internet. And that is a game changer for these mobile devices. And uh, that kind of brings us to, to modern Safari. So I would say we pick it up there after our first break. Well, actually, before that, I, I said to tell you, I've been kind of tense throughout this whole segment. I don't know if you could hear it in my voice. Oh, no. Because I've got the bell. Oh, yeah. And my hand has been over it. You never said the magic word. I never got to ring it. I'm kind of sad. There's some later. There's, there's one coming. All right. So, so I, I've got to stay like this. Uh-huh. Just give me one. Just give me one. There's lots of articles in the K-Base about Safari. <laughs> Thank you. I feel better now. Wow. Cheapening the bell a little bit there. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. 1Password is a tool for the age that we live in, an age where we all have countless online accounts. Some of them may not matter so much, but a lot of them matter a whole lot. Things like banking or 
our social media accounts, things that we don't want those passwords out there. And one password makes it easy to create secure, unique passwords for each and every one of those different accounts. And the best part is you don't have to remember them. They're stored safely in one password. You simply unlock your one password keychain. Maybe you enter a password if you're on an iMac, but if you're on a Mac with Touch ID, you can do it with your fingertip. If you're on a modern iPhone or iPad, you can do it with your face. You can unlock your passwords with your face. And that's because one password stays on top of the latest technology coming out of Apple and other companies. I am using one password for families at home to share passwords and information between my spouse and I. And it's a great way to make sure that everyone in the house has their stuff secure. For instance, if I was using one password and my spouse wasn't, you know, a lot of our joint passwords may be weaker because they'd have to remember them. And, and we don't want that. We want everything to be strong and unique. So one password for families is the family password manager. You get unlimited passwords, credit cards, and secure notes. You get a gigabyte of secure document storage. I actually use the document storage a good bit in one password to save pictures of things that are related to an account or maybe uh, screenshots. You know, we've all gone through and, you know, you have to enter security questions when you set up an account. Well, what I do is I take a screenshot of that and then I just dump the screenshot into one password. So I have those in the future if I need to know, okay, well, did I use my mother's maiden name or did I use my mother-in-law's maiden name? Did the street I grew up on or the street my wife grew up on? I could just make a screenshot and drag it in there and one password for families. Let me sync that image around to all of their award-winning apps. So the Mac, iOS, Windows, and Android, one password is where you want to be. And if you ever run into any questions or any trouble, they have 24-7 fast email support. That's absolutely great. I've had to use that a couple times over the years, and they're always professional and always can walk me through what I need to do quickly. If you want to learn more about 1Password and 1Password for Families, head on over to onepasswordcom slash MPU. You can learn more there, and you can sign up for a free 30-day trial. And when you sign up, you'll get 20% off. That's onepasswordcom slash MPU. Our thanks to 1Password for their support of the Mac Power users. All right, so the history lesson was fun, but I want to talk about modern Safari and and getting more out of it. The uh, I think we both use Safari across the board. Mm. Oh, good. This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. I have used Chrome on the desktop for years, but when I knew this was coming up, I switched back to Safari about a month ago. Okay. And, and honestly, a lot of these features we're getting ready to talk about have kind of won me over. There are still a couple of things that I just have to do in Chrome, and we can talk about that in a little while, but all the creature comforts of Safari being baked into iCloud and baked into the system sort of outweighed those other things for me. Yeah. I mean, that for me, that's kind of the underlying thing is I have enough conflict in my life. I don't need, <laughs> I don't need to deal with multiple browsers because Safari with the iCloud engine underneath it really gives you a single experience across your multiple devices. And that's not a surprise. I only really use Apple hardware. So uh, I love that my my history and my bookmarks and tabs and everything just sync across. I love that when I pick up an iPad Safari, I can go and pick up a bookmark or a, an open tab from my Mac version of Safari and just continue. Mm -hmm. They, I think Apple has done a very good job, you know, the last several years. I know iCloud kind of got a bum rap and mobile me and, you know, and, you know, I don't want to do another history lesson, but, you know, they, they've had their checkered past, but at least with the Safari components, I have had no problem whatsoever 
with having it sync all my various, you know, browser related data. And you can do uh, you can do some neat stuff with that because it uh, because iCloud sort of ever present, uh, including on Windows. You can ring the bell now. There's a uh, knowledge base article in the show notes about uh, iCloud for Windows, and it, it can sync those bookmarks with um, Internet Explorer. So at least you have them there. There's not Safari there, but at least you get your bookmarks there. Yeah. But I do things like I'll just leave a Safari window open on my Mac just so I can grab it from my iPad maybe that night. Maybe it's an article I want to read in the evening, and I know it'll be there. Um, but the biggest thing for me, honestly, with the iCloud sync is syncing of history. Yeah. So maybe I'm looking at something on my iPhone and you know, and I need to come back to it later when I'm on a bigger screen. Well, the history is just synced to all my devices so I can search for it in the history on my Mac and just get to it really quickly. That's a lifesaver once you get used to it. Or reading list is another one. I mean, Apple made reading list several years ago. It's not really a competitor to you know, some of these read it later services that are out there. I mean, they have more features, but with reading list, I find that's, that's good enough for me. Like, do you use Instapaper or reading list? Which one do you use for read it later these days? Yeah, I'm using Instapaper. I've used it since it, it first shipped. Yeah. I could totally get away with reading list and reading list actually will sync content for offline use later. For a long time, reading list didn't do that. And so if you were on a yeah. airplane, it's like, well... Too bad, uh, but uh, there there's a checkbox for that though. You need to make sure you check. Oh, it. do you? So uh, so reading list. I need to give another shot. Um, now it's, it's, Safari seems like it's going to stick for me this time. So uh, I may go check that out again. But uh, it's cool that it's just there in the browser and built in. That's always a that's always a strong <laughs> a strong feature in favor of an Apple product. Yeah, I, so my problem with Instapaper and um, what's the competitor Instapaper every pocket pocket was uh, was the debt I was incurring. You know, I was sending so much stuff over there. I remember at one point I had over a thousand unread articles in Instapaper, and then I, it, it's like subscribing to the New Yorker. You know, you just open it up and you just you start to loathe yourself, mm-hmm. and then you just close it and leave. Whereas uh, I took kind of a fresh approach. I declared read it later bankruptcy <laughs> and uh, years ago i just started using um the um the reading list and it's very easy to use because it's built by apple it's baked into the system so the the little save it to reading list button shows up everywhere you can think of mm-hmm. uh, just a little pair of glasses if you've never used it before and now they've got offload viewing that's good as well but i try to clear that out by the end of the week and it's when I go to bed at night and I want to read something, I just click that button and there's usually somewhere between five and 15 articles in there. Hmm. And I'm, I ruthlessly delete them if I'm not going to make it out. And, um, and that, that has made my life a little less stressful in that little corner. <laughs> That's good. I, I need to give that another shot. So I'm going to, I'm going to move some stuff. Cause I, like you have, I have a lot of stuff in this to paper. It's yeah. not good. And you're not uh, going to read it all. Let's just accept that, right? Yeah, yeah. This now, is an intervention. I do like that it has folders. So, yeah. you know, I, I have used that in the past. And of course, I have a lot of history there, but um, I need to I need let's, to give that a shot. Let's stop and think about that. You run a company that has all these shows. You've it's got true. a blog. You're on multiple podcasts. And you're spending your time sorting your read it later articles that you'll probably never read into folders. When you say it like that, David... If really, <laughs> point comes across. Get it. Yeah. Uh, a couple other modern features. Uh, you have uh, extensions. This is more of a Mac thing. You have extensions on iOS just in terms of content blockers. But extensions can add functionality to 
uh, Safari on the Mac. So there, there's a lots of options here. Uh, one password has one, of course. Uh, another nice one is Mars Edit. If you, Mars Edit is a blogging app for the the Mac, and it has a Safari extension that you can hit, and it will take your link and any selected text and kind of move it into Mars Edit for you automatically. The the bulk of extensions are content blockers, but there are some of those other options. It's not as rich as what Chrome has, but chances are there are uh, there's an extension out there that can maybe do what you want it to do. Uh, but it looks like you're using uh, a couple of them, actually. Yeah. And, you know, these extensions got rewritten a few years ago, Apple. Mm-hmm. We, the two things we haven't talked about with respect to Safari that we'll get to is security and, um, and speed. But the actually power management, security and power management. But the um, but so Apple has made these much more secure. Um, if you love extensions, Chrome is probably the browser for you because they have gone hog wild over there. But mm-hmm. just the stuff I really need is there. Um, in the past, I've used Ghostery. I don't have any current blockers running, and uh, it hasn't been a problem for me. But if it ever was, I'd probably go back to Ghostery. I didn't have any complaints about it. But but the three that I like um, and are running as we sit here is 1Password, which is a sponsor, but it's also awesome, and, uh, and Grammarly, which is a service I subscribe to. It's the only grammar checker I've ever respected. And uh, in fact, Katie and I used to talk about that probably in older episodes, but uh, it's just a great thing if you write a lot. And with the Grammarly Safari plugin, it can check your text for you as you're typing it on the web, which is pretty nice. And then um, Dark Mode, which is uh, just an app. If you flip it on, it tries to make websites in dark mode. So when you're running your Mac in dark mode, you don't get the hot blazing sun of a white-based website. On yeah. The back. So this is an this is an uh, an extension that forces that even if the app even if the website doesn't have a dark mode. So like for instance, my Five Twelve Pixels has a dark mode based on like Safari dark mode. You know, if if, if the if the UI is dark, yeah, make those unblocked. So, but this will force it on other websites. Yes, that's cool. And, um, I haven't run dark mode on my Mac in at least three or four months, so I'm not sure why I have that still installed, but. <laughs> I, I have the best of intentions. I set it up for dark mode. I get everything going. And then there's always one violator. Yeah. There's something that comes with this really bright screen and it just makes me mad. And I just go back to regular. Yeah. I don't, I don't really care for it. Uh, the, the content blocker I'm using is one blocker and it's pretty neat. It has an iOS version and a Mac version. They sync your preferences between the two. Uh, but what's neat about one blocker is obviously it has tons of categories of things you can block ads, trackers, you can block like adult content, you can block Facebook and Twitter, but it also has a whitelist and block rules. So you can use um, like these custom tools, like okay, I, I want to block this website uh, from my devices and you go in there and tell it and you can turn them on and off as needed. Uh, I've had pretty good luck with it. There are, are many others out there. Uh, there'll be a, a link in the show notes to a thing by Ben Brooks, who he rounded up a bunch of content blockers and evaluated them back uh, about nine months ago. And I think this is still a really good article sort of talking about uh, what's out there. Um, but that's kind of up to you. You know, I don't, I don't think I can pass judgment either way on if you should run a content blocker or not. But if you want to, Safari makes it pretty easy to do so. Yeah. And the other thing you do is if you're curious about this and you're sitting at your Mac right now, just go up into the Safari preferences and click on Safari extensions. Yeah, and it opens up a website with a bunch of them there that you can download and try. Some of them are free. Some of them cost you a few bucks. 
those do not largely go over to iOS, but, but you know, this is just one of the differences between mobile and Mac. Uh, on the desktop, you also have uh, Picture in Picture, which, of course, we know from iOS, like the, the TV app and others. It's okay on the Mac. Uh, there is a trick to use it on YouTube. Basically, you double right-click a video. So if you have a video up in YouTube and you right-click, you get this weird YouTube contextual menu. But if you right-click again quickly, you will get the Mac OS standard right-click menu. And in there, you can say show in picture in picture. So you can do this with a YouTube video. It's great. You know what, Steven? This is the one. I mean, uh, you put this tip in the outline. I tested it and I'm like, hey, you know what? This show has earned its <laughs> earned its pay for me. I had no idea this existed. I, I had all these goofy workarounds. I had a keyboard maestro script I would run to resize mm -hmm. the YouTube Safari window to fit roughly the size of a video. And then sometimes I'd have to like hack away at getting the right, you know, position of the window. This is a game changer for me. Thank you. Yeah, it's awesome. I forget where I picked that up, but I use it all the time. There's a rhythm to it, though. It's almost like you've got to, like, practice it. Yeah. Because if you wait too long, it doesn't work. Yeah, it's like an arcade game. you got to get the timing just perfectly. It's like on level three of Donkey Kong when you made that jump off the elevator to the platform. Sure, yeah. Yeah, that's uh -huh. just like that. you got to get it just right. <laughs> a Safari course supports AirPlay, so you can send video from Safari to an Apple TV uh, you can do this, of course, from an iOS device as well. AirPlay is kind of everywhere now, but that's a great feature if you're in a conference room or I've even used it just at home. Like if I have my MacBook Pro and I want to send something to the to the Apple TV, yeah. I just send it on over. And then, of course, it has a download manager, which until iOS 13 comes out, the iOS devices don't have. But you're going to get one, so that's good. Mm -hmm. It's actually really good. I don't have to talk about iCab anymore. I have a whole video in the Keyboard Maestro Field Guide. There's a whole video on there about iCab because people want to download videos on their mobile devices. And Safari just says, no, thank you. But uh, like I said, we're getting a real Safari in September. We'll talk about that again as we get closer to the release of Safari, of uh, iOS 13. Uh, just real quick, download manager. Where do you put your downloads? What, what, what do you mean? They go in the downloads folder. Yeah, I well, used to do that. I don't, where else would they go? Where would they go? David, do, do you put them on your desktop? I do. I do. I did that. Um, I used to put them into my action folder just along with every, it was kind of like the input folder for me. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I was making a video and I put it to download directly to the desktop just for the purpose of that video. But I didn't turn it back and I realized, oh, this is kind of nice because as soon as they're on the desktop, it forces me to do something with it because I can't leave my desktop full of downloads. And um, I'm actually find myself managing downloads better, just dumping them on the desktop. My downloads folder is usually a disaster. Yeah, that mine was too. I yeah. also use downloads as the downloads folder in my home folder and finder. I also use that as temporary storage. My downloads folder doesn't get sucked up to Backblaze. Yeah. So I have like three halfway edited podcast directories in there. You know, and this, <laughs> this folder right here is like four gigs and it just hangs out in there yeah. and then it goes away. But anyways, download folder. I feel like there's a better way to do that. Let's talk about some of the high points of Safari. We've talked about kind of the modern Safari experience. And the reason we're converting you to a full-time Safari user. And uh, one of the most obvious ones is power management. If you use a Mac notebook and you switch from Chrome to Safari, you will get time back on your battery. I, I promise you. It's you incredible. You will get noticeable time. Mm -hmm. Noticeable time. My, my wife thought I had upgraded her computer. And all I did was convince her not to use Chrome. Yeah, Chrome, it's uh, it's it's power hungry, it's RAM hungry, and Safari can 
I mean, any web browser could take up a lot of memory, but Safari is really tuned for these these mobile devices. Of course, it has to be right. It also runs on the iPhone and iPad, and the Mac benefits from that. And it's it's really shocking uh, the uh, the amount of battery life you will get back. Uh, and they do that in a bunch of ways. They do it just in the way that the browser is built and the C- CPU it takes and that sort of thing. But they also have a lot of these smaller features. So uh, you can have it set to disable autoplay videos. And so you don't have video running in, in a tab somewhere and uh, and taking battery away from you. It, it runs in a really lightweight fashion that as you know, I don't use a MacBook Pro often, but when I do... Even when I was using Chrome on the desktop, I'd often use Safari on the on the notebook just to get this uh, experience. Yeah, as I understand it, like if you have like JavaScript running on a tab in the background on Chrome, it's still running. So it's doing all those processes even though you don't see them, whereas on Safari it does not. Mm-hmm. I might be wrong on that, but I know at one point Apple was was promising that. But it just, I mean, it's noticeable as I guess. No, it's not like you're going to get a few minutes back. You're going to get a lot more time than a few minutes back if you if you switch. And, you know, it kind of makes sense. I don't think the Chrome team is super worried about supporting Apple's battery life team. Whereas at Apple, uh, you know, the management is saying, look, just like in the old days, don't give me a, a code update that doesn't, you know, that slows things down. I think they probably have a similar rule now. Don't give me a code update that's going to hurt the battery life. Um, we talked about speed. That has been a a continuous story with Safari. Uh, Apple has, of course, a bunch of stuff on the website touting how much faster it is than other browsers. And Apple's done a good job at keeping that modern. You know, a lot of the modern web is JavaScript that is complex and and expensive to run computationally. And Safari just blows through that stuff faster than anything else out there. Does it though? I mean, I like you've been running Safari as an experiment. As we've been Uh playing this show, I've been running Chrome it seems to me like they both run really fast. They're both really, yeah, they're both very fast. But uh, so far, Apple says Safari's faster, so I guess uh, Apple says Safari's faster. But you're right; they they both are very fast on modern hardware. I guess what I would say, is speed is not a problem. No, you know, it's like you're going to get a benefit of battery life, and it's not going to cost you speed. Yeah, well said. Uh, Apple Pay support. That's mm-hmm. kind of awesome. You know, I uh, I get that all the time whenever time I buy stuff on Safari, uh, whether I'm on the Mac or or a mobile device. On the Mac, it's kind of cool. If you've got an Apple Watch, you just double tap your Apple Watch and you made a purchase, which mm-hmm. is kind of hard for me to fathom how all that how those pipes connect, but it <laughs> works. Yeah. So if you have a Touch ID enabled Mac, like my MacBook Pro, you can use Apple Pay sort of natively. Like there's an Apple Pay system preference pane, and you enter your credit card there, and it just uses it. But on my Mac Pro, you're right. It asks for an Apple Watch or an iPhone to authenticate with. And uh, it works really well. And yeah, anytime I can use Apple Pay, I want to for the security benefits. And that's something that's not in Chrome or these other browsers. That is only in Safari. The reader view. I The reader view is the it's a little button up in the uh, URL bar. Uh, and you just tap on it and it, it renders the current page in a simple text view. I don't know if I described that very well, but it just I makes so. it much easier to read a page, especially like if you're on a smaller iPad and you're laying in bed and you don't have your glasses on or whatever. It just makes it easier to read. Or if you're on a, a Mac and the, the page is full of junk, right? It, yeah. can, it can get rid of yeah. a bunch of that stuff. I use it all the time on the iPhone in particular. Yeah. And what's cool about this customization is you can set it 
You could say, hey, Safari, every time I load yeah. the Max Market website, just go into reader mode automatically when you can't, when I click on an article or tap on an article. Um, so it has per site settings that also include Zoom level, access to location services. You can say, you can tell it on this website, never run a content blocker or always run a content blocker. And, and on the Mac, that's a, that's all a little bit fiddly. It's in the preference pane again, and it's under... Uh, websites and like there's a lot of stuff in here but if you took the time to go through here or adjust it as you go uh, it can really make things work the way you want them to if you if you sort of take that time and, and customize it and again other browsers have this but i think safari does a really good job of making it uh kind of accessible uh, in a way that chrome doesn't chrome has a lot of this customization but you're in a they don't have much per site like safari does but a lot of the, the browser customization in Chrome makes you go to, uh, you know, like the flags menu and you've got to find the checkbox and stuff. It's it's all a little bit messy, where Safari makes it uh, nicer to deal with. Yeah, I think part of it all is just, you know, what is the priority? I mean, these are, both Safari and Chrome are browsers made by really smart people um, that really know their way about building a web browser but if you look at their whiteboard what's on the top of the list and some of this stuff is more important to apple and some other things like we're going to talk about later with respect to chrome is more important to google and um you kind of pick which priorities align with you more Mm -hmm. and uh and there's more to this but before we do that i want to talk about our second sponsor this episode of the mac power users is brought to you by squarespace Make your next move with Squarespace and enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. So what does Squarespace do? It lets you easily create a website for your next big idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store or a portfolio or a blog like I've done with Max Sparky. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it all covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I was talking recently on an MPU ad spot about Squarespace and how easy it is to help friends get started on the web. But the thing I really didn't admit in that spot was it also makes it easy for me to make my own websites. I've used Squarespace to build both Max Sparky and my legal website. And the reason I did that is because the idea of finding my own hosting company, picking a blogging platform, making sure my plugins are compliant, making sure that nobody's hacked my old plugins. All that stuff just makes my brain hurt. And I did that for years and I had all sorts of trouble and wasted all sorts of time. And when I switched over to Squarespace, it's like all those problems just magically went away. Poof, just gone. Because with Squarespace, you've got one company handling the whole widget for you. They do the hosting, they build the software platform, they make the content engine, they design the the templates. Everything is done in one place. They have the plugins for me. So I, I don't need to go outside. And I've got one company controlling all of it and keeping it safe for me. And it just solved a problem for me that I didn't want to have in my life. As, as nerdy as I am, as much as I make about, you know, geek stuff on the web, I don't want to become a website boss. You know, I don't want to spend all my time uh, trying to, you know, figure out why my website stopped working or why my plugins need updating. And with Squarespace, I got rid of all those problems. And you can too. 
Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com MPU. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for the Mac Power users. Once again, that's squarespace.com MPU and the code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Now, getting back to that whiteboard, something that's high on the list for Apple that is probably higher than other competitors is privacy and security. It, it is their, uh, especially under Tim Cook, it is sort of the company's mantra in a lot of ways. And Safari definitely has been uh, built and changed over the years to reflect this. You know, let's talk about some of the reasons why security is important in a web browser that people may not be aware of and how Safari defeats that. Starting with tracking. I mean, don't you hate that when you go like look at something on a website and then a week later you're on a completely unrelated website and it gives you an ad for that thing you looked at? Mm-hmm. Super creepy. Yeah. Um, trackers are always watching, <laughs> you know, <laughs> especially if your browser is not trying to watch your back for you. Mm-hmm. And and Apple has really the last two or three years in particular put a lot of wood behind the arrow on this. Yeah, they have. So there, there's a feature called Intelligent Tracking Prevention, and this is it's kind of a umbrella term for a couple of things. So it's identifying web ads and trackers, like you said, and then removing cross-site tracking data, which is that phenomenon you spoke about of, oh, I looked at these shoes on Amazon, and now I see that ad on Facebook. It is limiting that exposure. And uh, it can go in there and delete cookies or alter cookies uh, on in the browser to change that. Um, but it also looks at common forms of tracking, like like or share buttons from major social media networks. A lot of those come with analytics and come with uh, tracking JavaScript attached to them. And Safari doesn't allow that stuff to run, so it's keeping your you know your activity hidden from hidden from those companies and. Um, I do want to insert a sidebar here because I can feel as I'm talking, I can feel this perceived tension uh, just with me and talking about like privacy and security on the internet where I run an advertising based business on the internet. Like my income comes from ads on the internet. One reason I'm in podcasting, there's a lot of reasons, but one reason I really love it is that none of our ads do any of this, right? Like you just read a Squarespace ad and The only way we know if that works is if someone goes to that URL and signs up for a website or domain name to Squarespace. You know, we're not doing any tracking on those. We're not doing weird things if you visit our website or click a link in Overcast. Like, podcasters don't have the same level of really creepy and invasive tracking that web ads do. And uh, and I'm really proud of that. And I, I think all podcasters or most podcasters want things to remain this way. So... I think that we could talk about this and like separate that from the business side of what we do, but I just kind of wanted to put that flag in the ground a little bit. Yeah, I agree. And and I think even conventional web advertising, there's a place for that, except the problem is so many people have gone over the line with it. Way too far. Yep, absolutely. And um, and so there needs to be some pushback. And, and one of the nice things Safari does is it allows you to selectively apply these things to websites. You have per website settings and, if you go to a website and they are respectful with their ads, leave them on, you know, support that 
that creator. But if they're going to throw whack-a-mole at you every time you go to their website, you know, turn them off. Play ball. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Another way Safari protects us from this sort of thing is uh, with fingerprinting defense. So some of these ad trackers, we're looking at, you know, you know, Safari knows a certain amount of information about your user on your computer, right? It knows certain things about what your IP address is, what kind of Mac you're on. And over time, Apple has shut the doors to more and more of that information. So uh, one particular way that this got implemented more recently in Safari was Safari has to know what user fonts are installed, like on your local user on your Mac. So if a font is called in the browser, it knows if you already have it or it needs to load it from the, the you know from the website server or something. And uh, Safari now doesn't have access to that anymore. So these companies are trying to figure out, oh, you have this IP address or you're in this region and you have this collection of fonts. You visited this site and we think that's you over here. They could try to build a profile on you. That's yet another door Apple has shut against these these really invasive advertising networks on, online saying, look, you can't you don't get that information from our yeah, users I, anymore. When I learned that this existed, I would I was I felt assaulted, you know. I mean, they're looking at my installed fonts to figure out who is me. I mean, I don't know. I, I really don't like that, uh, and, and and particularly because I like custom fonts, so I'm very identifiable by my font collection, you know. Um, but the uh, I don't know, man. That that was kind of remarkable to me. But you know, I guess there's mo- there's money to be made off this stuff. There's somebody that's going to figure it out you know, some way to identify you. And, and Apple, as, as fast as they figure out those ways, it seems like Apple's committed to shutting those doors. Um, the sandboxing thing is cool too. And, and sandboxing for our listeners, a lot of, they're going to think about software rules, but this is a different kind of sandboxing. This is putting, containing a website into a tab. Um, I remember several years ago before they did this. So, so basically a website is running in its own little sandbox for lack of a better term. So they can't really escape that to do further damage to your underlying system from a website and makes a lot of sense. I was going to say, I remember years ago when there was a hack where you could jailbreak an iPhone by going to a website and clicking a link. And that's all it took before sandboxing. And a friend of mine who worked at an Apple store told me one day somebody came in and jailbroke like five of the iPhones. Yep, that was a real fun time at the Apple you, Store. You, you, were you working in the Apple Store back then too, right? I think I was, and uh, yeah, or maybe I went in and did it. I don't remember which side of the equation I was oh, on. Oh no, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Come on. Uh, so, anyways, yeah, that, that's great. Um, Safari has some other features. Well, it has its own built-in password management. Safari will suggest strong, unique passwords and save them into iCloud Keychain. But one thing I think is really cool is Apple is uh, doing the uh, the work to let third-party developers access those systems as well. So 1Password, LastPass, et cetera, all have the chance to autofill from the QuickType bar on iOS or via extensions on the desktop. So uh, you don't have to use Safari, iCloud, password management. You can use a third-party and it'd be quickly accessible, which I, I think is really neat. And um, I commend the Safari team for keeping that as open as possible. Yeah, so if you want the extra power, you know, sharing and all the other stuff you get with those third-party password managers, you still got it. Plus, it's built into Safari. Nice. Uh, other security features, private browsing, you know, but that's kind of um, that's on all the browsers, you know. 
Everyone's got it. Yeah. Um, the DuckDuckGo is a default search engine. That's I've been using that for years now. I don't use Google as my default search engine. I know Google did something that made me mad one day and I just switched it. <laughs> I don't I honestly don't remember what it was. <laughs> but yeah. But it works fine and my results are good enough. You know, they aren't the results aren't so bad that I've switched back. And um I don't know. What what do you use for your default search engine? Google. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have right. any, I mean I don't have problems with it and my entire life is in uh Google and yeah, G Suite. So. I know. It's weird. Uh I don't even really have a good excuse, but I, I use DuckDuckGo. And occasionally if I want to use, here's a here's a power tip. If you have DuckDuckGo, you bang Google it. You just hit um, uh, exclamation point G, then space, and then type your search, and it does an anonymized Google search through DuckDuckGo. I wonder how long they're going to keep that door open. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, anyway. Uh, <laughs> Safari can also, uh, will also prevent you from loading websites that appear to be loading malware or trying to automatically download malware. This does kind of open the door to a side conversation that we don't really have time for today about malware on the Mac. Uh, I want to come back to that in a future episode. There, there are definitely some examples of it. None of them are super bad, uh, but the most common way or the really the way you end up with something is you install something you download on the internet that isn't what you think it is. And Safari is doing what it can to prevent that from happening. Uh, if you come across one of these sites, it'll basically give you an error in the browser and tell you, hey, this isn't what you think it is. Uh, go back the other way. Yeah, I have a client who knows about my Max Parkey side mm -hmm. and called me and said, hey, um, there's, hey, Mr. Apple, you know, you know how they do that, right? You mm -hmm. have people call you that, Mr. Apple sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, outsiders. David Apple. Yeah, exactly. And they say, hey, Mr. Apple, um, what's wrong with your Apple company? It's always my company when there's something wrong. I wish it was my company when they were distributing the money, but it's only my company when there's something wrong. But say, hey, Mr. Apple, um, uh, iTunes sent me an email saying there was something broken, and every time I click the link to fix it, I get this error website. And I'm like, oh, they just saved your bacon because yep. <laughs> you, you were clicking on a link that was going to take you to a bad place on the internet. It's like jumping in front of the bullet to save the... Yeah. Good guy. Yeah. You know? that, that's a, wow, that's very uh, graphic, but yeah. I've, I've been watching uh, the Christopher Nolan Batman movies again, and oh boy, that's kind of where I am. <laughs> My kids got me watching John Wick. I haven't seen any of those. Yeah. You know, it's, I think I'm getting old because it's a little just too much for me, but the line, but there's some funny lines in it. Anyways. So I'm just, I'm thinking I'm back. That's all I'm going to say. Safari, privacy and security. Big thumbs up. You know, we're not saying that other companies don't care about this, but Apple clearly has put a priority on this above, I think, what other people have done. And uh, I think it's great. I mean, I think with with Safari, you get privacy and security and you get battery um, monitoring. I think that those are probably two of the highest things on the list. And if those two things are important to you, it's worth considering. So Safari is perfect, right? There's nothing wrong with it. There's a few downsides that we should talk about. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Let's talk. About and, and these all really kind of revolve around incompatibility. So we spoke about earlier how WebKit, it was basically WebKit and, and IE. And of course you had Gecko, which is the browser engine inside of Firefox. But over time, WebKit has been split. Google's doing their own thing. And sometimes things just don't work in Safari. And I've got a couple of examples of these things that I use for work where it's like, it's a little weird, or I got to kind of be careful with it in Safari. And, uh, you know, some of that's on Apple, but a lot of it also is on web developers who maybe didn't do the work to make sure it worked in Safari. People don't test in Safari the way they should, especially on the desktop. On mobile, it's better because Safari, as we're going to talk about in a second, dominates in mobile, at least in large parts of the world. Yeah. But on desktop, 
the the Safari for Mac, sometimes you'll run across sites that just don't work as well as they should or don't work at all. Um, and that kind of brings us to market share. And I think this is sort of the root of all these issues. Um, so th- this came from uh, a stout stat counter global stats. It is some research. The site seems like they know what they're talking about. So uh, all platforms combined, so desktop, mobile, tablet, whatever, um, I'm comparing Chrome and Safari. So I left out Microsoft's browser and they're actually like in the middle of like retooling, getting away from IE and doing this thing. Yeah. The new Internet Explorer, it's not called Internet Explorer anymore, but they're Microsoft's Edge. 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 Microsoft's new Edge browser is based on Chromium and Blink. So yeah. there's that going on. Uh, so just looking at Chrome and Safari, because I think those are the two obvious things to compare for Mac users. Uh, Chrome, 63%. Safari is 15%. Uh, on desktop, that's Yikes. a little worse. Chrome 69, Safari 7. But uh, tablet and mobile are, are far more interesting. So on, on tablet browsing, Safari is 64%. Chrome is 24%. Now, there's not many Chrome OS tablets, even fewer Android tablets. So you kind of see that the iPad. When you talk about the tablet market, you're basically talking about the iPad. So that, that number makes sense. On mobile, worldwide, Chrome is 59, Safari is 21%, but in the U.S., Safari is 51, and Chrome is 41, because the iPhone holds a much greater market share in the U.S. than it does elsewhere uh, around the world. So, Glo- yeah, globally. Yeah, so Safari, I think, primarily is like a mobile browser first, it almost feels like, at least in terms of, of market share. And because of this, you end up with uh, sometimes Safari sort of left out of the party when it comes to some of these web apps. There's another weird thing here, too, thinking about these numbers is on iOS, Apple actually forces all browsers to use the Safari engine. So you can download Chrome on your iPhone, but it's going to render with the Safari rendering engine. They do that for security and performance reasons. And it's a little bit different if you use like some browser that, you know, they're doing all the like Amazon Silk did this years ago, and maybe it's still around, where they did the rendering for you and like gave you a low data version of it. And I'm, not, I'm talking about that. I'm talking about real browsers on iOS. They're all using the mobile Safari WebKit engine. And so uh, you may think that you don't like Safari, you want to get away from it. I'll use Chrome on the iPad. Well, you're using Safari. You just get all the Chrome goodies around it. And you have to give kudos to Google. I mean, Chrome is not that old. Chrome is newer than Safari. Mm-hmm. And it is the global dominant browser. It by far. It is. They totally came in and just took Internet Explorer's place in that. And for good reason. Chrome's a good browser. It's fast. And especially on Windows, there's really nothing nearly as good at it, in my opinion. But now they hold all the cards. And anytime that, that happens on the web, you know, you end up with, with weirdness elsewhere. That being said, I am, um, as, as the dyed-in-the-wool Safari guy on this show, I... I have really not had a lot of weirdness with Safari. Um, the the exception being the Google suite, you know, Google Docs, Google Sheets, mm-hmm. and um, and I know a lot of folks that run Chrome just to run those apps, but I just can't for some reason be bothered. And like I'm looking at the outline of this show right now in a Google document in Safari, and the the big uh, spreadsheet we use to run this show is I look at frequently in Google Sheets in Safari. And um, now that we've got this update coming on iOS 13, I've been working again with Safari in the Google Suite. And weird things like copy-paste sometimes doesn't work the way it does. Like the keyboard shortcut doesn't work or the select and copy doesn't work. But you know, but generally, it, it's okay. 
you know, I, I get by fine with it. This gorgeous MPU outline that I made. That is very nice. I made that in Safari. I didn't make it. I didn't go to Chrome for that. Yeah, it's a lot better than it used to be. A couple of years ago, Google Docs and Sheets were basically unusable in desktop Safari. And whether that was Google's fault or Apple's fault or Google should be praised or Apple should be praised fixing it, I don't know. But it's better than it was. The, the big thing I see is if I leave a Google Sheet open for a long time and then come back to it, so it's like in a tab and I can do other things and come back, sometimes it's fuzzy, like it's non-retina anymore. I don't know how that happens, but <laughs> fuzzy oh, sheets. <laughs> but you can just refresh the page and it's fine. Um, and there's no 4K YouTube streaming on the desktop. So I have this beautiful 5K display. I have a fast internet connection. If I want to watch YouTube in 4K, I've got to do it in Chrome. And that's because the the video codec Google uses for YouTube doesn't support 4K in Safari. It's the same reason we don't have 4K video in the YouTube app for Apple TV, uh, is that Google's codec is not supported by Apple or Google doesn't support Apple, or Apple doesn't... Well, whoever's at fault, both of them are at fault, honestly. Yeah, can't these two kids just figure this out, honestly? I know, just get along, guys. Just, hey, look, you're in the valley. Just, like, get a smoothie and fix it. Yeah. But uh, they don't. And so for, if you want 4K YouTube, you got to go to Chrome. I, I think to solve this problem, they got to get beyond a smoothie, though, because, you know, in the valley, they have, like, those fancy toast stores where you, you pay, like, $20 for a piece of bread with some cream cheese on it or something, or avoc avocado, avocado. This is a toast and avocado problem. You got to go to like a fancy place. But if we, I would donate $20 to that if that's what it took. I'm just saying, if you're. To get you a lot of avocado toast and. Yeah. If you're listening, if you're listening Safari team, I will buy you a piece of toast with avocado on it. If you can fix this, <laughs> you know how to find me. <laughs> this episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by our friends at Pingdom. Pingdom helps keep your sites and the sites you love online. They monitor your website so you don't have to, giving you real-time feedback so you know exactly what's going on at all times. The internet's pretty awesome, but stuff definitely breaks just all the time. In fact, Pingdom detects around 13 million outages a month. That's 400,000 outages a day. That's And it doesn't matter if you're a startup or you're a Fortune 500 company. You need alerts about critical website issues. Pingdom lets you customize how you're alerted depending on the severity of an outage. Plus, they track and analyze your website load times, and they can see what's affecting the user experience. If you have a site of any size, you need Pingdom. We use Pingdom at RelayFM to monitor our website, and we had an outage the day we're recording this. And I got an email from Pingdom and a text message saying, hey, the site's down. A few minutes later, the site's back up when our host had resolved the issue. It was great that I knew what was going on. And to get that sort of level of knowledge, there's a no-fuss approach to getting started. All they need is the URL you want to monitor, and they simply just take care of the rest. So go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And you sign up, use the code MPU at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. That's pingdom.com slash relay FM. My thanks to Pingdom for their support of the Mac Power Users. Okay, so I thought we could talk about some uh, some tips and tricks, things that we have uh, discovered about Safari that, you know, Safari's a big app. There's a lot of stuff, uh, some things that people should check out. And we already mentioned Safari's preference pane on the Mac. It, gang, if you're using Safari, 
you ought to open that up and just go through it. Safari is extremely customizable. Uh, everything from do I want a new tab in the front when I open it, or do I want to stay where I am? Keyboard shortcuts to use Command 1 through Command 9 to go through your tabs. I use that all the time, like just continuously to, to get through tabs. And then, of course, you have all of the per site settings in the website tabs. You can go in there and say, hey, this site always uh, disable autoplay. This this site, I want to be zoomed at 125% every time I load it. On and on and on. My biggest tip is open the Safari preference pane and, and spend some time exploring because you're going to find things that you didn't know existed and you can tweak Safari and what it does to your liking. Yeah, agreed. It's it just, uh, you need to understand those tools. Some bait, like one power trick that you'll find in the settings that I use so often is the command click. Uh, hold down the command key, click on any link, it just opens it up in a new tab. And, and if you're going through an article and you want to read something else later, if you do any kind of research on the internet, uh, how awesome is that? You know, I mean, it's I huge. You know, it's just it's just silly little things. And it's also um, the other couple tabs I'd recommend studying is the privacy one, and um, and and the website one where you can customize all the blocking and turn things off and on. Ah, so much, so much stuff. Um, yeah. You can also pin tabs in Safari. So this lets you. You know, it's in the tab bar. Basically, it makes the tab way smaller. Just takes over a little bit of space on the left. And that means that uh, those stay in place. So if you close or even quit Safari and reopen it, those tabs, those pin tabs will stay there. So you could, if you have something that you need to visit several times a day, like maybe a, a time tracking application or a Google Doc you're basically in and out of all day, you can just pin that over there and always have it available. They added this a couple of years ago, and uh, it can be really, uh, really handy. There are a couple of times throughout my month and my admin life at Relay where I will pin a spreadsheet there as I'm working on other things and just go back to it quickly so it doesn't move around on me. And uh, it's not something I use every day, but when I need it, it's really nice. Uh, I have a I have a whole stack of pin tabs that are just always there. Yeah, I got Oh yeah. I got the Max Sparky website just loaded for as the public sees it, but then I've also got the Squarespace backend as a pin tab. I've got the whole Learn Max Sparky admin panel there. Okay. I've got Google uh, Google um, Drive is a pin tab. I and and that's because that's a jumping off point for a lot of the Mac Power User stuff. Mm -hmm. And the Drive will show the most recently edited documents. So you know, late you know, show planning and recent outline updates. Either you or I have been in it recently, so I can get to it very quickly. Uh, your your favorite Basecamp. I got Basecamp up there, and then got to have that pinned. And Airtable is pinned now too, because Airtable has taken over my life to such an extent that I uh, I got to have it pinned. That's cool. And uh, I need to explore that a little bit more. Probably the the pin tab deal. I just I don't have a ton of stuff that I need like that. Like I guess I could do the Relay homepage or or the Relay CMS maybe. But it sounds like you're jumping in mainly with keyboard shortcuts. Yeah, which I do yeah. as well. But I just figure sometimes my hand is on the mouse and sure. And uh, and the uh, the other question for you: Do you put your bookmarks list on the toolbar? Uh, yes, I do. So you can you can see them in a sidebar, and I don't yeah. want that. Like, why would I? No, me either. Take up that much screen real estate. So I just have them underneath the location bar, so they're all in folders and subfolders, so I can get to them quickly. And, uh, and that's another thing you can do is under the view settings in Safari, make it your own. You know, go through those things, turn off the things that you don't want, turn on the things you do want, try a few out. You know, see how it goes. 
So t- there's a ton of stuff in there. And um, and you can also, like many good Mac apps, you can right-click on the toolbar and say Customize, and you can drag things in and out. So maybe you don't uh, use iCloud tabs, so you can pull that out. Or maybe you want one password there, you can drag that in. Yeah. You can really customize it and and set it up the way you want it to be. So spend some time in there. I, I'd recommend that really with any Mac app because uh, you can you can really minimize your trips to the menu system if you just have them visually there. It's a it's a nice option. What do you think of the top sites um, feature where you open a new tab and it just shows you your bookmarks and yeah. recent sites? So I actually have that off on safari for the mac so i have safari opens with a new window new windows and new tabs are an empty page so it just is a completely white page and the cursor and text is in the location bar so i can just start typing yeah Uh, i like it on the iphone and ipad but it's never really clicked with me on the mac yeah makes sense um over on ios the trick is the long press uh, I think of all apps on on the iPhone and the iPad, perhaps Safari is the one that benefits most from long pressing on buttons. Almost every one gives you additional options. You know, you want to close all tabs? If you long press on the right button, it'll do it for you. I don't, I don't even think I'm going to tell you. I want you to just go in and do it and figure it out. <laughs> yeah, it's really handy. I, I really have a lot of complaints about the iPhone in particular, about its tab selection with like the carousel or the Rolodex you're looking down on from above. I don't love that UI, but long press all the things in there and you will find, uh, you will find lots of features, uh, but you can also long press the page reload button. And on the Mac, you can right click on it. You can reload without content blockers, or you can on iOS request the desktop site. So that's how you do it. Long pressing on that reload button in the browser. I am so looking forward to not doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. It's going to be great. Safari, I think, is the thing in iPad OS 13 for most people. It's going to be huge. And because the low desktop website is a mixed bag. It really doesn't work that well on iOS. Anyway, yeah, there, there's some great stuff in there. Long press on everything. The little plus button, the um, the multi-page you know, icon at the lower right corner. I'm doing all this from memory in my head here. They, <laughs> it just You just long press anything in, in Safari because they have limited controls and you know limited space to put controls on the screen. So that's one of the apps where they said, let's just make you know all those extra options show up with the long press. And they are everywhere in that application. Safari also has, if you're a web developer, there's a lot of uh, good stuff. The web inspector in Safari, I don't think it's as powerful as, or as well laid out as what Chrome has. But one neat thing Safari has, if you enable the develop menu, is it has a responsive design mode. So you can go in and, you know, so if I, say I pull up the Relay website and I enter this responsive mode, it gives me uh, what the device would look like or what the site would look like on a bunch of different devices. So the iPhone SE, iPhones, iPads, iPad Pros, desktop, and you can actually tell it also, hey, I want to see this size. I want to see what it looks like in Internet Explorer or in Firefox. And that gives you, as a developer, uh, options and uh, more flexibility than having all these devices stacked up on your desk. Again, Chrome can do this as well. I think Safari's presentation is nicer and more robust in this responsive mode. Um, but check that out. And, you know, even if you're just working on your own website, it can be helpful to see what it looks like on a bunch of different screen sizes. 
Okay, do we want to wrap this up by talking about some of the competition and maybe our uh, our recommendations? Yeah, let's do that. I mean, we, we've been talking around Chrome the whole episode. Wh- where does Chrome make sense? I think if you're cross-platform in the sense that you're on the Mac and the PC a lot, maybe at work and, and you can use Chrome, you get bookmark sync and history sync and all that sort of stuff uh, through your Google account. Uh, Chrome, of course, comes with a lot of googly stuff in it, so you got to make some personal decisions about that. But uh, if you have you know those needs that extend beyond Apple hardware and Apple software, I think Chrome's the default answer today for basically <laughs> almost anybody. Yeah, well, this is how thin I sliced the onion when I had a PC job was I figured my my work bookmarks and whatnot were work bookmarks. And I, my personal stuff was personal stuff. Sure. I, I didn't even really want the Mac Sparky related stuff syncing over to the work machine. So I use Chrome as my work browser and I, I use Safari on everything else. But no, I agree. If you've got that overlap, Chrome is definitely a good solution and it's a great browser. Uh, particularly if you're using a computer that's plugged into a wall. <laughs> the, um, I, you know, I don't know how the battery, I guess there is no comparison, but does is Chrome the battery hog on Windows that it is on, on yeah, Mac OS? I, th- I think it is. Um, I think it is. If you want sort of the benefits of Chrome and you don't want the googly stuff, there's a browser called Brave. It's cross-platform. And it uses chromium and blink and all that stuff all the the browser engine stuff but it doesn't have any of the google yeah stuff in it so google's not tracking things in it it's open source they're a team based on privacy so if safari doesn't do it for you or you want something cross-platform check out brave it's also on the uh the iphone and android devices it's, it's pretty cool. I've played with it some. There's some weirdness in Brave of like content creators can sign up for it. And like if you spend time on their sites, they get paid. You can ignore all of that. Brave, I think, is a gr- growing in popularity. I see it mentioned in the MPU forums pretty often these days. So that's that's one worth uh, worth looking at, I think. And then there's the old standard Firefox, you know. I mean, yeah. that, uh, it's been around a long time. I mean, it was a big deal before Chrome existed. Yeah, I kind of feel bad for Firefox. It's independent. It's run by the Mozilla uh, Foundation. They have their own browser engine, so things render differently in Firefox and anything else. Firefox, I think, still is the, the maybe the second choice for like web development stuff because its tools are really good. But Chrome really ate Firefox's lunch for a lot of people who wanted something besides Internet Explorer. And yeah. I mean, people still use it. People like that it's not associated with Google or Apple, and I get that. And it's extremely custom, extremely customizable. But it's not, it's not on my short list. I keep it around as an alternative and to check things in. But I haven't browsed in Firefox seriously in probably eight or nine years. Um, it's been a long time. I have Chrome. Well, we'll talk about our picks later. Um, iCab, um, iCab to me, it's it's on Mac, but it's really shows up on iOS. And for all these years that that Apple has kind of held Safari back a little bit, iCab has always been kind of the go to solution. I mentioned it earlier. It's a browser with a download manager on iPad and iPhone, which made it unique until recently. Yeah, yeah. Um, it uses WebKit rendering engine on the Mac and iOS devices iCab just feels kind of like it's from a different time. Uh, I, I've never used it on the Mac 
I don't think I've ever even installed it on the Mac. But yeah, it's on my iPad and iPhone. But Safari's going to do what I use iCap for, so it's going to fade away for me. Another one worth mentioning on iOS, if you're you know privacy minded, is DuckDuckGo also has a browser. Really? Yeah, you know, and yeah, and it's as I understand it, it's pretty secure. So um, if you really want to go down that rabbit hole, DuckDuckGo browser. Uh, I, I I wanted to have a moment of well, a moment of silence doesn't really work on a podcast. On a podcast. Yeah. Especially if they have that speed up stuff and their uh-huh. software. Yeah. Just Overcast totally relevant. blow through it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I wanted to at least mention Camino because I think a lot of people have fond memories of it where it it was a uh, a Mac browser that used the Firefox engine. I'm talking like before Safari or in the early days of Safari. But back then, Firefox was really bad on the Mac as a Mac app. It didn't use like the standard system controls. and It felt like a port. And Camino... Yeah was a uh, a really nice like first class built with all the modern stuff Mac app and and pretty and pretty yeah it was great uh, I ran it in high school and college until Safari version three or so and Safari got good and Camino's long gone now but I will always remember it fondly so rest in peace Camino it, it almost had a Safari like icon mm-hmm. right if I memory serves, but it, it had like a blue globe kind of an inside a compass. So very similar themes, right? Like yes. very similar themes. Great app though. Great mm-hmm. app. I agree. I miss Camino too. Or another one that is no longer in development was OmniWeb. That was another really powerful app. Take, take me back today. Also a blue globe is an icon. If I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it kind of made sense. Sure. It did. Um, I heard a funny story about them. I don't know if I'm talking out of school, but you know, OmniWeb was one of the first browsers to support um, a little startup uh, called Google. You know, they had the uh, they had the Google search engine. You know, Ken was one of the first to recognize you know what that did, and the Google folks came up to the Omni headquarters to meet with them. And uh, you know, Omni always feeds its employees lunch, and that the Google guys, Sergey and whoever, was impressed with that and. I always wondered. I wonder if the reason everybody gets free lunch at Google is because of the Omni Group now. I like that. Anyway, yeah. Uh, what are we doing, Stephen? I mean, I, I use Safari all the time. Sounds like you're kind of coming around on it. I am coming around on it. I think using it the last month or so in prep of this episode has really showed me that I could do almost everything I need to do in it. I'm still bouncing to Chrome for a couple of specific tasks, mostly around PayPal. PayPal, some stuff I have to do in that for work just doesn't work very well in Safari, and I, I blame PayPal really? for that. Yeah, because I use PayPal on Safari, I never have well, a problem. But. You probably don't pay like fifty people at once, but yeah. uh, when you're in it for a long time and you have to give it a captcha of like, "Hey, I'm a person," it doesn't work in Safari. It also does some weird things in Safari, both it and FreshBooks. If you copy and paste in uh, monetary values with a dollar sign in them, it won't accept it, and Chrome will. So it's like kind of like really careful about data entry in Safari. And uh, so for, there are a few things I keep Chrome around for, and I keep Chrome around also for the YouTube admin stuff. I know, David, you know this. When you upload a video to YouTube, the YouTube Creator Studio is, like, bad. It's not good. And I have actually a profile. One thing Chrome does, Safari doesn't, is you can have profiles. So I can say, I just have, you know, one Chrome installed on my single user on my iMac Pro, but I can tell Chrome I want to I want to be signed into this account or that account. And that gives me, uh, you know, different themes and different bookmarks. So I have one just for my YouTube stuff. And I, yeah, that's, you know, 
sequestered away in Chrome. So if you have the need for those multiple profiles, this can be a great way to separate work and personal stuff. You know, maybe you have a laptop that you use at work, but you get to take home. You can have a, a personal and a work profile in Chrome and have all your bookmarks and history sort of isolated from one another. That's really a feature I would like to see Safari pick up uh, of giving me the ability to have sort of multiple instances, multiple uh, personalities within uh, within Safari. So I am going to, uh, I'm not going to make a thing out of this, but Uh-oh. CAPTCHA has got worse, in my opinion. Mm. Yesterday, I spent like 10 minutes trying to find fire hydrants in the picture. And it, I found them all, but it didn't believe me. I don't know. Maybe that, maybe that was a safari thing. I don't know. But hey, so, someone's got to train those driving cars. Might as well be you. I guess. Anyway, but the, uh, <laughs> um, I, I like you. I, I use Safari mainly. I keep Chrome around occasionally. I need it, but rarely. Uh, I'm willing to put up with Safari weirdness on some like Chrome-based sites, so long as it you know works. Um, just because it's just such a pain in the neck. I don't like running two browsers at once. You know, um, if people ask me for a recommendation and they are multi-platform at all, I just say get Chrome. Yeah, I don't even like question it. Um, and if they're on single platform, I, I really try and encourage, you know, Apple only people, you know, people using only Apple hardware to try new Safari. And the primary motivator for that is battery life on laptops. Um, but privacy, I think, is also good. I think it's important that you know companies looking out for us. And, and like, well, I'm not saying that Google doesn't, but I think it's higher on the list for Apple. So, you know, I think they check off boxes that Google probably doesn't. I think that's fair. If you if you are a Google ecosystem user, like if you're in the education for the Google system, you know, Google has this great education tools. If you're a company that you know runs Google Docs and Sheets as its back end, you know, don't fight the man. Just use Chrome. You know, that's what you should be doing. Uh, the third-party apps, I don't really recommend them much. I, I, You said you have Firefox installed. I haven't had it installed in years. Um, iCab was a recommendation I would make on iOS just because it had a download manager. But in September, that I'll stop doing that. Yeah, yeah me too. All right. Safari. Did you think we could talk this long about Safari? Uh, yeah. You know, this is one of those we got into. It was like, oh, there's a lot of stuff here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, browsers are so important to all of us. And... You know, it's my gateway into my entire work life. So it's important that what I use works well and respects me the way that I feel like my data should be respected. Yeah, we've got a feedback show coming up. We're, we're not going to do a whole feedback show on the, the merits of Chrome or Firefox or something else if you use something else. But I am super interested in why you may use something else other than Safari. And uh, that might be good for the feedback show. So let us know. Probably the best way to do that would be in the forum on this uh, episode. Uh, Definitely that's the way we'll make sure to see it. Um, You can email us, but we get a lot of email. So, uh, you know, forum, please. Uh, otherwise, uh, we are the Mac Power Users. Thanks for listening. Uh, thanks to our sponsors today, 1Password, Squarespace, and Pingdom. And we'll see you all next week. Bye.